I think a lot of people think that they know a lot about it, or they've heard the name, the word Olam Abba has been mentioned a lot, and people hear it, we talk about it, and it's in a lot of Jewish sources. And we kind of create with, for ourselves a model of what this is, and kind of try to figure out, like, we try to piece everything together in our heads. Um, my role here is to like, kind of look at the sources, what the sources actually say, and try to piece together like a single, coherent, cogent model of what Olam Abba is. Uh, and the reason why I think just as a way of introduction, the reason why it's a little bit so misunderstood, this whole idea of reward and punishment, what's reward, we have so many different things that are names or words that are keywords for reward in Jewish life that it's hard to kind of figure out what is what and, and where it fits into the big continuum. So the Rambam has a very long essay, I referenced it a few times in the, in the source sheets, where he talks about reward and punishment in general. And he starts off by saying that even the Chachamim and the people that know Torah, they have no idea what happens, what's the good that comes to a person when they follow Torah and mitzvahs. Everyone knows, it's a, everyone accepts the premise that you do Torah, you do mitzvahs, you have reward. But what that reward exactly is, is a great mystery to everyone. And he says that there's five different categories of people. There's one group that says that reward is Ganeiden, that's the word that they use. The second group says that it's the days of Mashiach. The third group says it's Chiyas Amesim, resuscitation of the dead. Uh, the fourth group says that it's just having a good life, like living, you know, having prosperity and health and nachas and, in this world. And then finally, there's a fifth group that kind of makes a big challenge of it all. It says that there's Mashiach and there's Gan Eden, there's Chiyas Amesim, and, and then we do life and everything together. But, says the Rambam, the thing that no one talks about, and no one examines, and no one investigates, and no one probes, and no one tries, no one tries to seek out the true essence of, of, of what it means is Olam Abba. Olam Abba is kind of forgotten. People don't really know what it means, when is it applied, when is it, and what about it. Uh, so that's what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to find clarity in Olam Abba. And, that, and why is that so central? Because if you look at Masih al so he writes it down very clearly in, in source number one. Of course, the Rambam himself mentions this as well. I'm just picking out this source. Uh, and he says in the beginning of Mesiel Sashorim that what Chazal instructed us, so that the person was only created to have the pleasure of God. This is the real pleasure and the greatest pleasure that's possible. And the place of this pleasure, that's the reward that we're supposed to be here to get, is Olam Because that was created specifically to fulfill that function. So, says the Messiah Sisharm, and this of course comes from the Ramah, I'm just bringing this as one example, that the purpose of us in this world is not for our status here, rather our status in Olam And Olam is a place of tremendous pleasure, of real pleasure, of great pleasure, and that's the goal. The goal is Olam Abba. And it's interesting, and this is going to be a, a constant theme, it's interesting that Messiah Shalom points out that not all pleasures are created equal. He says like this, Shazel, the pleasure of Olam Abba, pleasures of, of, of experiencing God, Hatainug HaMiti, we're in source number one, it's the real Tainug, Va'idun HaGadam and Kodadum, and the greatest Idun. So Tainug and Idun are both words used for pleasure. And he says that, Olaba is the Tanu Ta'amiti, the real one. Everything else is maybe not as real. And it's also the greatest pleasure. It's the greatest pleasure. And that's Olaba, and that's what we're here for. Now, if you look at source number two, you'll see that where the problem really lies in trying to clarify, pin down exactly 
what this means. So this is from a Gemara. This is the first of, of several Gemaras of its kind that describe a vastly different world. This Olam Abba, this next world that we're, that, we're, that, that we're talking about, we're referencing it, is completely different than the world we have today. How so? So the Gemara reads, this is from Brachos Yud Zayin, it used to be a common saying, an axiom of Rav. This world is not like Olam Abba. Olam Abba, what's an Olam Abba? Ein Bo, it does not have. Lo Achila, Vlo Shtia, Vlo Perivarivia, Vlo It doesn't have eating, drinking, procreation, no business. Vlo Kina, which means envy. Vlo Sina, and no hatred. Vlo Tacharut, and no competition. So what he's telling us is like this. Olam Abba is different in this world. This world is a physical world. We have to eat, we have to drink, we have to sleep, we have to procreate to have continuity. You don't procreate, your bloodline ends. Olam Abba is not like that. There's no eating, there's no drinking, there's no sleeping, there's no procreation, there's no standing, there's no sitting in different diocese, there's no business. There's no competition, there's no bad midos, there's no kinna, there's no envy. Rather, it's sadikim. So it's sadikim, it's the righteous. They sit, and their crowns are in their heads, and they have the pleasure of, of the shechina. And of course, what that means is a great mystery. What does it mean to have the pleasure of shechina? Like, well, the, the, these terms are, are all very vague, and we're going to try to try to pin down exactly what they mean, or how much, to, to get as much of a familiarity with the content as possible. So I want you guys to look at this. This is a fascinating Rambam. The Rambam here, so this is source number three. The Rambam says that Heviodea, um, you should know. Just like a blind person cannot conceptualize color. You can't try to explain to a blind person what green or red or yellow looks like. There's no overlap of experience. Unless you've seen red and green, and yellow, only then can you, do you know what it is. Similarly, and so too the deaf one cannot, in his mind, conceptualize what sound sounds like. And not the eunuch cannot, uh, in his head, try to figure out uh, what is this desire for intercourse. So too, Says the Rambam, just like a blind person cannot understand what color is, so too we as bodies cannot understand what spiritual pleasure is. There's a deep point here. If someone's blind, right, they don't have the physiology, they don't have the anatomy, they don't have the capacity, the tools that they need to experience color. They don't have the hardware. Someone's deaf, someone's a eunuch, they cannot experience those things. They don't, they don't even in their head imagine what it is. So too, a goof, a body, cannot understand what spiritual pleasure is. It's not possible. It doesn't have the, the faculties. It doesn't have the capacity to do that. Just like fish cannot imagine what it's like to have fire. They're all in the water. They've never seen fire. They've never experienced it. So too, it's not known in this world, in this body world, what spiritual pleasure is. Now this next line is, is critical. Because this is going to open up 
a whole new realm here. Aval. All we have is, is pleasures of the body. And the uh, senses, of eating, drinking, intercourse. Everything that's beyond, everything that's spiritual, to us, is it's beyond us. It's, it's as if it doesn't exist. And we cannot perceive it or recognize it. And we cannot conceptualize it, we cannot recognize it in the beginning of our thought. Rather, it's accessible to us after much searching. So this Rambam, and we'll see this theme again and again, is opening up an entire realm of an idea here. What he's saying is like this. As bodies, we cannot connect to spiritual pleasure. It's not possible. We don't have the tools. We don't have the hardware. It's not possible. Blind person can't experience color. It's totally beyond us. However, says the Rambam, we know we're comprised of more than just a body. We also have a neshama. And our neshama is actually perfectly designed to experience spiritual neshama-like pleasures. Says the Rambam, we don't understand physical pleasure, uh, spiritual pleasures initially, because we're predominantly identified with our body. But after much searching, if we work hard, and we begin to identify more with our soul, voila, of course we'll understand what spiritual pleasures are. So the idea here is like this. We're seeing that this is this dramatic idea, some other world, we can't understand it, we'll see more about how we cannot understand it. It's beyond us, we're blind, we don't get it. But, says the Rambam, if we could find a way to tap into our neshama and to feel what our neshama feels and identify with our neshama, then, indeed, says the Rambam, that's a lot of work. You've got to work really hard to get there. But if you do get there, then you open up new vistas of spiritual pleasure for yourself. Uh, and, indeed, the Rambam continues, this is not, I didn't write this over here, he says, because we're bodies, we only understand bodies, but spiritual pleasures, that's a different realm, and unless we're able to tap into our innate spiritual identity, we cannot understand that spiritual pleasure. So that's an introduction. So what we, we know from now, Olam Abba, is the ultimate thing that we're here for. If you ask me, why are we here? Why did the Almighty place us in this world? The Jewish answer is, Olam Abba. And the Gemara say it, it's clear, Olam Abba. What exactly Olam Abba, that seems, that's where we're trying to understand. So the Gemara says, it's not physical, there's no physicality, there's no eating, no drinking, no sleeping, no intercourse, no, uh, no bodily uh, uh, functions or, or um, um, uh, desires or emotions. It's, it's spiritual, and we don't get it because we're bodies, it's hard to talk to us. It's like talking, trying to explain uh, to a blind person what yellow looks like. You could, you could say yellow is really vibrant and grass is green, but they don't really know what that is. They don't know what it is unless they've experienced it. Says the Rambam, quick caveat, however, there is this, it is possible for us to gain some insight to it if we're able to reframe ourselves into becoming more spiritual. Well, then we'll have more of a access to spiritual pleasures. Okay, so source number four is what I really wanted to talk about. Source number four is a very short Gemara in the end of Brachos. And the Gemara says that there's three things in this world that are like Olam Abba. Three things. Let's read the Gemara. Shlosha me'ain Olam Haba. 
there's three things that are like Olam Abba. Eluhain, this is what they are. Shabbos, we know Shabbos me Olam of course, Shabbos. Shemesh means the sun. And lastly is Tashmish. Now the word Tashmish has multiple meanings. The Tashmish can either mean uh, marital relations, or Tashmish can also mean removing one's bowels, going to the bathroom. So the Gemara says, there's three things in Malabah, Shabbos, Shemesh, Tashmish. Ask the Gemara, Tashmish Demai, which Tashmish are you referring to? Elema, if you say Tashmish Hamita, if you say it's referring to marital relations, Hamit Chash can't be that, because that makes someone weak. Ella, rather, Tashmish Nekavim, rather, it must be referring to going to the bath and removing one's bowels. Thus, we can say, the Chachamim of the Talmud, the Chazal, when they scoured the entire world to find three commonalities in this world that give us some sort of sense of what it's like in Olam they found three things. Shabbos, Shabbos, of course we know what Shabbos is, Shemesh is the sun, and Tashmish. What's Tashmish? Is it Tashmish Amita? No, it can't be, because that makes someone weak. Can't be that. And last, it must be Tashmish and Kavim. It must be going to the bathroom. Okay, so there's some obvious questions that we need to ask over here. First of all, what does this mean? What, what about Shabbos? Is Olam Abba? Like, the Gemara, that's it. The Gemara ends. It doesn't tell us, doesn't explain to us what about Shabbos teaches us about Olam Abba, what about the sun teaches us about Olam Abba, and what is this whole Tashmish thing going on? Um, so we're going to try to go one by one. Find what Chazal say about Shabbos and Shemesh and connect it and see how, it's, how it relates to Olam Abba. Uh, but the Gemara's last commonality between this world and Olam Abba is inordinately strange. And it's strange for a few reasons. First of all, the idea of going to the bathroom, it's, it's, it's nice, it's wonderful, but how, how is that in any way connected to Olam Abba? It's, it seems strange. In Olam Abba, there is no eating or drinking, right? Of course. So you wouldn't even need to do that, of course. Like uh, the mon, mon. Mon is like spiritual food. You didn't need to go to the bathroom. So that other rabbi seems like a very physical... Well, that's what... Because they were bodies and they couldn't handle the spiritual food. But I want to ask a, like a little bit of a, of a deep question here. The Gemara should have said, what are these three? Shosh Shabbos, Shemesh, V'tashmesh, Nekavim. Why did you say Tashmish? Why did you say Tashmish? We're which Tashmish. Is it this Tashmish? No, it can't be that. Right? Because it, it makes you tired. It makes you weak. It must be Tashmish, Nekavim, going to the bathroom. The Gemara should have simplified it and say, Tashmish, oh, don't tease me which one it is. Which one does it mean? Is it this one or that one? Just say Tashmish and Kavim, Mazel Tov. Why does the Gemara need to go on this whole rigmarole and say, Tashmish, oh, what does that mean? That's an, that's an ambiguous term. Uh, which one? Is it Tashmish? Is it Tashmish Amita? Is it marital relations? No, that's Minchash Kachish. That makes you tired. Rather, it must be Tashmish and Kavim. Why does the Gemara not simplify it and say Tashmish and Kavim? So those are our questions. So I want to go through one by one here and see what Chazal say about Shabbos elsewhere and Shemesh, sun, elsewhere, and about Tashmish and see if we could make sense out of this and we could maybe glean from this uh, a model for what Olam Abba is and why we should be super excited to, uh, to try to earn a spot in that select fraternity. So the first Gemara here, the, this is a very interesting Gemara. The Gemara this is uh, source number five. Uh, source number five says like this: Mi shetarach be'erev Shabbos, yochel be'Shabbos. Someone who works before Shabbos, someone who toils before Shabbos, they get to eat on Shabbos. 
Misha lo tarach be'erev Shabbos, but someone who does not toil before Shabbos. Meheichon yochel be'Shabbos, from whence shall he eat on Shabbos? From where? Now, what is this? Is this Gemara just telling us make sure you make your food on Shabbos like, on Friday? Like you have to you have to prepare food before Shabbos. Like that's that's obviously we know that. So all the commentators, like Mesel Sharm, everyone says that this Gemara is actually it's an allegory. It's a lesson. There's a metaphor here. Olam Abba is like Shabbos. If you want to get to Olam Abba, if you want to eat food on Shabbos, you got to do the work before Shabbos. If you want to get access to Olam Abba, you have to make sure that on Friday, so to speak, when you can still do work, you do the work. And on Shabbos, you can consume what you created. As opposed to if someone does not do mitzvahs on Olam Azeh, if someone does not prepare themselves for Olam Abba on Friday, proverbial Friday, when they're here, when they can do work, they get to Olam Abba and there's nothing for them to eat. Nothing for them to eat. There's, there's, there's no food. They haven't, they haven't prepared food. We had last week in the parasha, right? Kilo alechem levado yichia adam. Man needs more than bread. They need the word of God. So the, the mafarshim explained, what does that mean? Yeah, your body needs bread, but your soul needs the word of God. Because in all my body, your soul is going to be hungry. And if you prepare food over here for your soul in all my body, then your soul will have food to eat. But if you don't prepare food over here, if you don't prepare the mitzvot, which is the food, the consumable food, for your neshama and olma ba, your neshama will get there, it'll be starving. Just like if you forgot to make food before Shabbos. If Shabbos comes, that's it, it's too late. You can't do any more, you're done. So Chazal say, we look at Shabbos and we see this transformation. Erev Shabbos is preparing, hectic, hectic, getting everything ready, everything done, everything prepared. Shabbos comes, now it's about consumption. You can't do work anymore. Now, whatever you worked before Shabbos, now you can eat on Shabbos. So that's an interesting idea. I want to take this a little a step further here. When I make food before Shabbos, you make a delicious steak, or you make some chicken, or lahavdil, you make fish, right? And I get to eat the food on Shabbos. Can we say, is that like a, a prize for doing the work before Shabbos? You get to eat on Shabbos? Huh? Right, it means... We think, this is a deep point here, we think, Olam Abba, you do a mitzvah, here's a lollipop. That's what we think. What Chazal are telling us over here, when I make food before Shabbos, I eat that same food on Shabbos. That's not some sort of external reward. Doing a mitzvah creates the food, so to speak, that you eat in Olam Abba. The, the, the action that you do to get the reward and the reward itself are the same. No one's going to say, my prize for making Shabbos food is eating the Shabbos food. No, that's not the prize. That's just the result, the consequence, right? Directly resulting yeah, from what you do thing. is what you get. But there's also the aspect that what you do is what you get, but let's say you can also buy. So for example, just like you... You, you worked hard to make the meat, but with the meat, you also bought dips and you bought challah. But, you, but the point is... like a mitzvah too. You do the mitzvah, so you get the mitzvah, but you get everything that encompasses the mitzvah but, as well, not just... Of course, but the point is, if you, you but, if, but if you didn't work, however the work, however, however it takes to get the work done, if you didn't do that before Shabbos, you don't have it on Shabbos. If you don't have the mitzvahs, which is the food, so to speak, you don't have it. But the point is, is that 
the mitzvah that you do creates the spiritual entity that you have an Oma Ba. This is a deep insight. We're used to thinking that like, a kid gets a nice score on the test, here's a candy. Right? A kid doesn't get a, score, a nice score on the test, here's a smack. Right? Uh, I'm not suggesting to do that, but, but that's the idea. We, we look at reward. Someone commits a felony, they pay a fine, or they go to prison. Chazal is telling us here, this is like making food. If I'm a reward, I, may, I eat the food that I make. And we'll see a little bit more about that in, in, in a little bit. So it's as if the mitzvah creates something that I can consume in Olam Abba. And that we see from Shabbos. It's an incredible idea. Like we learn about how Olam Abba works. Chazal even tell us, you do a mitzvah, you create a proklet, which means a spiritual angel. Every mitzvah creates an angel. It's a... It's a, it's a a real spiritual entity that we create with mitzvahs. It's not like, you did a mitzvah, let's make a tally, a check, 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 how many checks do you have? No. Every mitzvah itself creates a spiritual entity that is there in Olam There's nothing that, like, there's, there's no change that happens when you get to Olam It's just whatever you deposited, that's what you have in your, in your bank. Now, I want to say another word here, how Olam Abba can be connected to Shabbos. I had a student in, in Aish uh, many, many years ago. He couldn't get the whole idea of Shabbos. Most of, most of the students loved Shabbos. He hated Shabbos. And to me, it was always interesting, like, growing up, Shabbos observant, and, like, Shabbos is the highlight of the week. It's so exciting. It's so wonderful. And then this guy's like, why are we doing it? And... It's, it's really a hard thing to explain. Like, where is the joy of disconnecting from... It means, if I just describe to someone the 39 malachos, I'm like, this is the most joyous experience. And you talk to someone, and like, I don't see the joy. Like, it doesn't, make, it, doesn't, it doesn't really compute. And I was thinking that the only way to really understand what Shabbos is, the only way to have the experience of Shabbos that we all know and love, is if you observe it, if you experience it. If you have never done Shabbos, and I said, this is what we do on Shabbos, this is what Jews do on Shabbos, then people would say, I, I don't get it. What is this? And the, the answer is, is that unless you've actually experienced it, you have no idea what it's like. Like the Ram told us, the blind person, you know, you could say all the words of description of color in the world. You could write a whole book on the color green and describe it in detail, but unless you've actually experienced it, then you don't know what it's like. And I found the Chazal here, famous Gemara in, uh, in Shabbos, on source number seven, that says that one of the Caesars had a conversation with the rabbis, and he says, how come, how come the chon smells so good? How come my Shabbos food tastes so delicious? It has a wafting aroma. Amr lekesel b'shua ben chanina, chananya, the Caesar said to Hashanah, How come the stew of Shabbos, its, its smell, its, its aroma, wafts? Amar lo, he says to him, Tavlin echad We have a special spice. V'Shabbos Shema, and its name is Shabbos. Shonamatil Masocha, we put it into the, to the cholent, V'Rechonodef, and that's why it has a wonderful smell. Amar, Amar, he said, Tell him, give me it. Where, where can I buy this? Whoever observes the Shabbos, he gets it. Then it, then, then, then it works for him. If you don't observe the Shabbos, then you don't get it. And I was thinking, what Chazal are telling us is that 
there's a certain aspect of Shabbos that demands for you to understand it, you have to actually observe it. And this extends even to the food of Shabbos. Even the food of Shabbos, certainly the mitzvahs of Shabbos, uh, but even the food of Shabbos, unless you've actually experienced it, you don't, doesn't make any sense to you. Similarly, Olam Abba, Sei Chazal, unless you've actually experienced it, or at least experienced the spiritual pleasure in this world by identifying with your neshama, then you have no idea, it doesn't make any sense to you. Uh, if I told you, your neshama can have pleasure of God. I walk around with placards, right? I say, I'm offering you the greatest pleasure in the world. Your neshama can experience God. People are like, what do you mean? I'd rather... I'd rather vape. I don't know, right? <laughs> right? Like, that makes any sense to them. Like, you could have the ziva shechina. You could have the, the, the grandeur of God's shechina. And like, people are like, what? And the, the truth is, unless you've experienced it, unless you've had some touch point with spiritual pleasure, it doesn't make any sense to you. And it seems illogical, and it seems, well, what's this obsession with Allah Abba? But, the Raman mentions this at the end as well. I don't end up in the notes. Once you've actually had a taste of spiritual pleasure, then you get it. And then all the other pleasures become silly in comparison. You see people that, there's a famous story with Byron Cutler. Byron Cutler said, someone, some, some guy who was a big donor said, oh, I have so much Olam Abba because I gave so much money to the yeshiva. He's like, yeah, Olam Abba you have, but what about Olam Azeh? And Byron Cutler, like, you know, he lived in a tiny little apartment in, in Brooklyn. You know, what does he know about Al-Mazah? But to him, like, when he was studying the Torah, he was really connecting to God, and he was having the pleasure of Lanus Mazivashino. And to him, it was greatly outweighed anything you could have from material and physical pleasures. So he's actually right. He actually has more pleasure. More pleasure. But the point is to other people, like, uh, the rabbis. Spending his time, four or five hours or ten hours, like the Chazanish would talk about, swaying over ancient Aramaic texts, and that's the greatest pleasure you can imagine? And the answer is yes, but unless you've experienced it, it's, it doesn't make any sense to it's total Greek. Not only that, this, this, is, a, this is an insight. Neshama Yaseira. What does Neshama Yaseira mean? Chazal tell us, we have an extra neshama on Friday. Friday afternoon, Shabbos comes in, we all get an extra neshama. Very strange teaching. The Gemara brought it down in source number eight. Gemara says, Amar Reb Shimon ben Lakish, neshama yaseira, knows an akash ba'adam erev Shabbos. Ulamaz Shabbos, not lahimenu. And a person gets an extra neshama before Shabbos. And after Shabbos, the money takes it back from him. So, simply put, on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we have one neshama and one guf, one neshama, one soul, and one body, comes along Shabbos. Now, we have two neshamas and one body. That's the way we understand it simply, right? Does that make sense? Now, what does it mean? You have an extra neshama? Is it harder to die on Shabbos? Because to die means to take your neshama out of your guf. At your body. To die means to remove your neshama, your soul, from your body. Well, if you have two souls, maybe it's harder to die on Shabbos. We have to look at the statistics. Is that what it means? What does this mean that we have an extra soul on Shabbos? Very strange, right? Got an extra soul on Shabbos. So look at Rashi. So this is uh, source number eight. Rashi is going to make it ever more strange. 
What does Rashi say? Neshama Yisera, Rochav Lev, expansiveness of your heart, Limenucha, for rest, Ulasimcha, and for joy, Velios Pasuach Lerevach, and to be open wide, Viyochal Viyishta, you can eat and drink, Ve'ein Nafsho Katsa Alav, and you won't get nauseated. Thus, concludes Rashi. Rashi says, your extra neshama is that you can eat and eat and eat and eat and not want to throw up. That's what Rashi says. Now, you told me that neshama is about spiritual pleasure. A body is about physical pleasure. And the Chazal say you have extra neshama. Says Rashi, you can eat and eat and eat. Very, very strange Gemara. And it's compounded by Rashi who says something it totally doesn't make any sense to us, right? What does it mean to have etch neshama? That you could go again and again back to the buffet table and just consume and consume. And we know that on Shabbat sometimes you have one plate of chalm too much, right? You know, you feel kind of heavy, and right? Shabbat, you have an appetite. You go, you go to the Kiddush, you fight over the... You jostle some uh, people out of the way, and uh, you get some a pieces, a few pieces of kugel, whatever, Right? Then you go home, you eat more, then you're snacking the whole day. It's, it's, you know, and that's, Rashi, that's the extra neshama. It's all Rashi says. Very bizarre, very bizarre Gemara and, and, and Rashi. So I want to kind of connect this to Olam Ba. When you do a mitzvah, I always think about it like this. You know, when we, uh, I was thinking about this this year on Sukkot. Everyone takes a, a bunch of branches and a bunch of flowers and a lemon we walk into the shul, and we start shaking it in all different directions, and we're hoping that none of our co-workers by any chance walk in. Because if they walked in, they say, this guy is crazy, this guy is nuts. Mine had a little also. Uh, what? My co-worker. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys, are just a, you guys are part of the cult. Yeah. But we do a mitzvah like that, and we feel strange. We feel awkward doing mitzvahs. Because a mitzvah is an activity of an neshama. That's what it is. You do a mitzvah with your goof and you feel weird. And, you know, when we walk in, we, we, you know, like we talk about citizen, right? Like, you know, it's so hot in, in Houston. People are wearing extra clothing and strings and fringes coming out. And we feel weird about it because this is not, you don't wear this for your goof. Like, there's no mitzvah. Mitzvahs are activities of your, of your neshama. And that's why, you know, and we're connected to our body much more than our neshama. So I'll give you an example. What happens if someone doesn't eat for 12 hours, 15 hours? They're hungry. And they have grumblings in their stomach, and they have hunger pains. And if they don't eat for 22 hours, or 25 hours, or 50 hours, they're famished, right? What happens if someone doesn't study Torah for 12 hours? They're fine, perfectly fine. 25 hours, 25 years, they're fine. How so? Why are we fine when we feed our body and starve our soul, but when we starve our body, we're not fine? The answer is because we are primarily bodies. And our neshamas, we're not linked to our neshama. So whatever the neshama wants, its agenda, it doesn't matter to us. It doesn't affect us. We don't feel it. We don't, we're not connected to it on an intimate level. So when the body needs something, we feel it. We feel hunger, we, right? The neshama, neshama wants to do mitzvahs, wants to do Torah, wants to shake the lulav. For the neshama, the lulav is ecstasy. 
for the neshama, the lulu of that, study Torah is ecstasy. But we don't feel like that. We feel awkward doing that. What's going to be in Olam Olam is the exact opposite. Olam the body's agenda, doesn't matter. The neshama's agenda is all that matters. And to us, that's so strange. We can't imagine anything like that. Comes along Shabbos. Shabbos, what are the mitzvahs of Shabbos? Get dressed up nice. Go to shul with your kids. Come and sing. Have delicious meals. Because I'll talk about how we're supposed to have marital relations on Shabbos. Eating, drinking, have a little l'chaim. These are all mitzvahs that suddenly our body like perks up. It's like, oh, I like these mitzvahs. Right? The body's like, where do I sign? Say chazal. On Shabbos, you have a neshama yaseira. You have an etra neshama. Do you know why? It's not now you have two neshamas and one roof. Now, on Shabbos, your roof is like a neshama. You have two neshamas. Your neshama that you have all the week. And on Shabbos, your roof also becomes a neshama. Your roof also wants to do mitzvahs. You do a mitzvah, and your goof is excited. It says Rashi, a Shabbos is wonderful. We eat, we drink, we sleep. And those are all mitzvahs. And those are all activities of our neshama. Say Chazal over here. If you want to understand what it's like to, to be Olam Abba, what is it like to feel totally at home doing a mitzvah? What is it like to not have any awkwardness, to totally resonate with a mitzvah? Go to Shabbos. Because on Shabbos, your goof is in a shama. You have an extra neshama because your goof is in a shama. And your goof is totally on board. And you get it. The mitzvah makes sense. You see a de- 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 delectable meal. You're like, where do I sign, right? That's what your neshama is like going to be in Omaba with mitzvahs. On Shabbos, everything gets flipped around. Shabbos, a mitzvah connects to our body as well. And we know what it's like in Omaba. That's what our goof feels like. We shake lulav. That's what I'm saying. That's what our shama feels like when we shake lulav. That's what our shama feels like when we eat matzah. To us, like we're chewing crackers. It tastes terrible, right? Terror and shama, like we're, this, this delightful. It's 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 my sinai, it's everything. We wear tefillin. Like to us, we're strapping pieces of dead cow to our body, right? Terror and shama, like this is total ecstasy. And every mitzvah is like that. And you want to know what your neshama experiences by doing a mitzvah and in the all you got to do is feel like what your goof, your extra neshama experiences on Shabbos. Indeed, we could say that when Chazal told us that Olam is similar to Shabbos, indeed, it makes a lot of sense. We saw already a lot of examples of, of how, just by experiencing Shabbos, we could tap into Olam What about the next thing that Chazal say? Chazal say shemesh, light, sun, the sunlight. That's also like Olam so, of course, we have to remember the famous Rashi, right at the beginning of the Torah, Rashi says, Vayihi Or, there was light. And what did they might do with that light? They might put it away. This Oregonus, it's, it's archived, it's put away in, in storage for Tzadikim, for Olam Abba. So that's uh, a connection we see off the bat. What I want to look here, kind of a little deeper on this, in source number nine. Source number nine is for the Gemara in Bamitzia. The Gemara says, you make darkness and it is night. What's, what's it talking about when the money makes night? 
This refers to Olam Hazeh that's comparable to night. What does that mean? Chazal here and Chazal as well in the book of Sota 21a make a comparison between this world, Olam Hazeh, and night. Just like at night, if you're going at night, you don't know, you might trip over things, you might, uh, you might uh, fall into a ditch, you might be attacked by wild beasts or by roving bandits. So to Omazed, there's dangers everywhere you go. You got the Yitzhar, you have Yisurim, you have Sin. Everything is trying to get you. And it's darkness. You don't see your way around. Comes along Omaba. Omaba is like the Shemesh. It's morning. What happens in the morning? In the morning, the bandits go away. The dangerous animals go back to their lairs. You see all the way around you. You have clarity in your life. We know if you actually spend time thinking about this, we know that our perception of what life is and what it means and what it ought to mean and what we ought to do, it's a little bit muddied. It's not so clear. It's blurry. We don't know. It's, it's darkness. We're trying to fumble our way through the darkness. Comes along, everything will make sense. The Torah will make sense. Our Shabbat will make sense. The mission of the, that the Almighty gave us made sense. Everything makes sense. Now, what's interesting is that the Gemara also says, Ner mitzvah v'torah or. A mitzvah is like a candle, and Torah is like light. The Gemara learns that light of the sun. What Chazal is telling us, and this is, we've seen this before, we'll say it again. We'll see it again. That it's possible for us to have an artificial olam haba over here. When we have Torah in this world, we're, we're accessing the sun, so to speak, in the middle of the night. Yes, it's olam azeh, it's darkness. We do a candle, we have a little bit of light. We have Torah, well then we have a lot of light, it's like the sun. And thus it's possible to gain the same clarity in olam azeh via Torah and mitzvahs as if we would in olam haba. And let, that brings us to source number 10. Source number 10 is from the Gemara Baba Basra. And this is the first recorded near-death experience. What happened? Yosef, Yosef, the son of Rabbi Yeshua, he got sick. In God, he died. And he came back to life. So we have a near-death experience. So Rabbi Yeshua said to him, his father, My chassis, what did you see when you were dead? What did you see? I saw an upside-down world. I saw the Elyonim, the elites, the lofty ones, are on the bottom. And the ones on the bottom, the lowly ones, are on the top. I saw everything was upside-down. He says, no, 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 no. You didn't see an upside-down world. You actually saw a clear world. Our world is upside down, and the world you saw is actually right side up. Our world is darkness. The world that you saw was clarity, was, was, was light. And finishes the Gemara. His father asked him, Va'anan, hechi chazisinon. Says his father, and Anan, chachamim, us, the righteous. How do we appear in Olam Abba? Right? Are we the lofty ones that are on the bottom? What is our status in Olam Abba? Amar lei, ki hechi de chashvin en hacha, 
Chashvinen Hasam. The same way you're viewed here, the same way you're evaluated here, that's the way you're evaluated in Olmaba. So this world is an upside down world. It's darkness. That world is upside down for us, right? If someone is hanging from the ceiling here, they look at us like we're upside down. But they happen to be upside down, and we're the ones who are right side up. If we look at Olmaba, everything will be upside down for us. But that's because we are the ones that are indeed uh, strung up, upside down, and we see everything in darkness. Says the dead guy who came back, what about the Tamid Chachamim? Well, they're the same here as they are there. Tamid Chachamim live here in a clear world. My grandfather, whenever he would learn this tomorrow, he would say like this. His father told him, you didn't see an upside down world, you saw a clear world. Ah, and Tzadikim, the Tamid Chachamim, in this world, they live in a clear world. How? how? Like we said earlier, their mitzvah of Torah are, by having a, a, doing mitzvahs and having uh, and, and doing Torah, you have artificial olam haba. You have the candle, you have the light of the sun. But there's more. This world is our world, right? Right? The Shemaim Shemaim Lashem, the heavens are for God, this world's ours. Right? However, if you notice, last time, next time you go out in, at noon, I want you to take a 10, minute, 10 second stare at the sun. The sun is part of our world, right? It's, right? It's our world. It's part of the world that the Almighty gave to us. Yet, we go outside and we can't look at it. We can't look at, 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 at the sun. So there's something very strange about the sun. Everything else in the world we can look at, not the sun. So look at source uh, number 11. It says, Call Hanavim, all the prophets, they only prophesied for the days of Mashiach. But for Olam Abba, and I cannot see it, Besides from God, only God can see it. There's something so dramatic about Olam Abab that even the Nevi'im, even the greatest visionaries of all time, they couldn't see it. They could see, Mashiach they could see. That, that, part, that, that much they can't see. Olam Abab, it's like the sun. No one can access it. To really understand Olam Abba, yeah, we can have an insight into spiritual pleasure, but to get Olam Abba in its entirety, even the Nevi'im could not foresee it. And lastly, there's an interesting Gemara that says like this. In the times of Olam Abba, the light of the sun will be diminished. Why? Says Rashi, because there's going to be tzaddikim, and Olam Abba there's going to be righteous, and the righteous are going to be so bright that their brightness is going to be more bright than the sun, and the sun in comparison will look like it's not so bright. It's going to be like night mode on the iPads. Lumos. Because I'll say something very deep here. The sun is going to be a much weaker light, not because it's going to be diminished in, in, in light, rather because the tzaddikim are going to be even more bright in Olam So perhaps we could say like this. Perhaps we could say that 
a, in Olam Abba, it's going to be like the sun. The power of tzaddikim is going to shine forth, and that's going to be so dramatic and so beyond what we can expect, just like we cannot even conceive of the greatness of the sun, we can't even look at it, the tzaddikim are going to be like that as well. Their, their neshama is going to be as powerful as the sun. Now I want to tell, take you guys through a little tour of history here. Source number 12 here says that Moshe Rabbeinu was compared to the sun, right? Pnei Moshe, Pnei Cham. And the face of Moshe was like the face of the sun. Hmm. Interesting. Olam Abba is like the sun. The face of Moshe is like the sun. What that actually means is, is that Moshe was able to access Olam Haba while he was still here. If you remember, after the Adriel, after the, the sin of the golden calf, what happened? Moshe Rabbeinu came down from heaven holding the second round of the tablets. And the people look away. You know why? Because Moshe Moshe Rabbeinu did not know that his face was radiating, was glowing. Say Chazal, his face was as bright as the sun. In fact, the, the, the story in the Torah continues that everyone turned away from him, even Aaron or Cohen turned away from him, and Moshe Rabbeinu put on a mask, a mask. For the rest of Moshe's life, he wore a mask. Now, what does that mean? It means that Moshe Rabbeinu, even though he was here in this world, it was as if he was an Olam Abba. As if he had the brightness of a thousand suns. Just like an Olam Abba, there's going to be something so bright that Tzadikim are going to shine forth because their neshama is in its purity. It's going to be so dramatically powerful. Moshe Rabbeinu was able to get that over here. So in fact, we find some dramatic things about Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is the only one that we know. He spent 40 days and 40 nights Three times, back to back to back. We read it last week in the parasha. Not eating, not drinking, not sleeping. Do you know any human that can go 120 days without eating, drinking, or sleeping? No. But, if you remember, what did we say at the beginning? There's no eating, there's no drinking, there's no sleep. There's no sleeping, right? Moshe Rabbeinu, even though he was a human like us, he still had body and soul fused together. His neshama was, was totally unhindered, totally unleashed, and therefore, he was living in Allah here. He didn't need to eat, he didn't need to drink, he didn't need to sleep. In fact, like Mar says, he was arguing with angels. Chazal said that he time traveled. Moshe Rabbeinu was able to talk to God whenever he wanted. He didn't, he didn't have all the limitations of the, other, of the rest of the prophets because Moshe Rabbeinu was in Allah. Uh, he was here, he was here, yes. But he had so perfected himself that he was able to access Olam Haba. In fact, the Gemara tells us, the Medras tells us, we went through this if you remember Bizi, that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he died, his soul refused to leave his body. Normally, the soul cannot stand being harbored in a body. Because they're opposites. The body's physical, wants the physical agenda. The soul spiritual wants the, phys- the, wants the spiritual agenda. They're, they're entirely incompatible. Moshe Rabbeinu perfected his body and harmonized it in a way that it was no longer repellent to his soul. In fact, his soul preferred it. He didn't want to go to Olam Abba. I'm in Olam here. Why, why, why would I want to go to, to the Almighty? I'm, I'm be- this is a be- no better place for me to be than to be in the body of Moshe. Let's go to the last element of Chazal, what Chazal say. The last thing that is comparable to Olam Abba is Tashmish. Now what does Tashmish even mean? So the Gemara has a whole question. Does Tashmish mean Tashmita? Marital relations doesn't mean Tashmish to Kavim, going to the bathroom. So what is it, what's going on over here? So let's look at source number 13. This is a Mishnah Perker Avos that says, um, 
It's better to have one hour of tshuva and mitzvot in this world than all of Olam Abba. Once you get to Olam Abba, it's Shabbos. It's Shabbos, you can't do any mitzvahs. It's too late. You can't prepare. Too late. You can only consume. And it's better to have one hour, one second, one unit of time of pleasure in Olam Abba from all the pleasures of this world. The pleasure of Olam dwarfs the pleasure of Olam of this world. There's no comparison whatsoever. But, this is source 14. What is the, not only is the pleasure of Olam so much greater in quantity, but it's a different kind of pleasure. Any physical pleasure that we have has a common characteristic. What is a physical pleasure? A physical pleasure is something that we feel, our body feels good because of something. So you eat something, right? You, you, you watch a movie, you go on a Ferris wheel or a, you go skiing, whatever it is, there's something that you do or that you experience or that's done to you that makes you feel good. That's the model of all earthly pleasure. And what happens? When you're doing that thing, right? When you're consuming that pleasure, you feel good. That pleasure, that pleasure leaves. It, you know, the, the cause of the pleasure leaves. The result of the pleasure leaves with it. Says the Rambam. Look at the Rambam. Lastly. We're in the physical world. So I want to underline the word nifsakim. We only perceive the the weak ending pleasures. We, we perceive the pleasures that they end. You know why? Because you have the source of the pleasure, you have the pleasure. You lose the source of the pleasure, pleasure ends. Aval, but But the spiritual pleasures, it doesn't res- it's not a result of something external that you do or that you experience. Rather, it's ongoing. It never stops. Om it continues forever. never stops. There's no corollary between physical and spiritual pleasures. So the Rambam is telling us is that it's not just that Olam so much, so much more pleasure. It's a different kind of pleasure, different nature of the pleasure. It's a different method. Physical pleasure, it's, it's, yeah, it's good, but it has a shelf life. And not only that, Rabbi Noach Weinberg was, uh, wants to, to point out that physical pleasures oftentimes have a, a bad aftertaste, so to speak. There's a letdown period. You, know, you eat a huge meal, but then you have a kind of a stomachache, right? Not only do the pleasures end, but sometimes they leave you with a bad aftertaste. Say chazal, tashmish. Which tashmish? If it's tashmish hamita, Right, makes you weak. Say Chazal, this pleasure, yes, it might be a wonderful pleasure, but it shares the characteristic of all physical material pleasure that when you have it great, and afterwards, it's not so great. You're done, right? And not only that, you made, you're, you're weak. So now you're even worse off. It doesn't continue on. Chazal examined every pleasure in the world, and they found one pleasure where the activity that brings you the pleasure, even though that ends, but the good feeling continues on. Say Chazal, if you want to have just an inkling of 
a, a, of an insight, a, a scintilla of comparison between physical, material pleasures and spiritual pleasures, you have to find some sort of pleasure that keeps on going. It's not just one and done. You do, you do the activity and you're over and then you start feeling bad. No, the good feeling continues on. Say Chazal, the only thing they found, Tashmash will come, go to the bathroom, you go to the bathroom, and then you, know, you feel pretty good afterwards as well. So of course, that in no way is comparable to Olam Abba pleasure. One second of Olam pleasure is better than all the pleasures of this world put together. But, the, the idea, we have to kind of get used to the idea that there's this model of pleasure wherein the pleasure is not just one and done, it just it continues going. And say, Chazal, we look at, at Tashmash Kavim and that gives us uh, a little bit of an inkling of what that's like. So, in conclusion, Chazal, indeed, don't make our job easy to try to make it clear what Olam Abba is. Um, they give hints here and there. And this Gemara, when I first read the Gemara, I had no idea what, like, it's very bizarre. Three things, like, doesn't connect. But when you look at the rest of the Chazal, what else they say about, about, about Shabbos, Shemesh, Tashmish, and you put all the sources together, it makes a whole abundance of sense. We can say, what is Olam Abba? Olam Abba is the destination that we all hope to get. It's our yearning to be a member of the fraternity that gets Olam Abba. How do we get Olam Abba? We'll have to see next week. What do we do to get there? How do we ensure that we have our tickets stamped? How do we make, make sure that we, we do that? But it's a place of pleasures that are unmatched by anything in this world. It's... Uh, it's just it's a different it's a different realm. It's pleasures that keep on going. It's pleasures that dwarf this these world's pleasures. And says the Rambam, if you have once you have this pleasure, you don't even desire physical pleasure. It's like imagine he gives an example. Imagine you have a king. King is dealing with issues of state and politics and policy, and it's you know that's a sophisticated pleasure. And then you say to him, <coughs> come let's play a game of kudoloch, right? Let's, let's not play a game of ball. He says, let's play with Sachet Bakadur. Oh, we were kids. We used to play punch ball, right? So the king would say, what are you nuts? I have so much better pleasures now. I don't want to deal with the pleasures of you know, playing punch ball, right, in the backyard. Says so the Ram, I'm like, yeah, we have physical pleasures. They're nice as kids. You know, we're not so sophisticated. You open up your eye to, to spiritual pleasures, then it's an, it, it just dwarfs. It's entirely for the And, and all about is, is this forever. Just, it's unbelievable. It's, it's like the sun. It's like Shabbos that you get to experience it. It's like you want to know what it's like. Your neshama feels totally natural doing a mitzvah. There's no uh, awkwardness uh, whatsoever. It's like Shabbos that the only time you could you could access it is if you prepare before that beforehand. It's like the sun that it's it's really beyond us, uh, but it's clarity and it, it, it all makes sense. And we're now in the world where we're the ones that are muddled. We're, we're living in darkness, and that's where we have clarity. Uh, and the major um, wild card is that in every one of these sources we found that while Olam Abba is a world of pleasure, Olam Azeh, we can access a little bit of that pleasure. Moshe Rabbeinu got it. Tamir Chacham over here live in a clear world. Um, the Rabbim told us that we don't initially get uh, spiritual pleasure only if we search for it really hard. And, and, this we will conclude, if you look at source number one, you'll notice that the Ramchal was very careful to point out that spiritual pleasure is accessible in this world. Let's read it again. What the Chazal instructed us. The only reason why we're created is to have the pleasure of God and to, to bask in his, the radiance of his Shekhinah.
Now, let's read this a little slowly. This is two things. It's the Tainur Ha'amiti, the real Tainur, and Ha'idun Ha'amiti, and the greatest Idun of all Iduns, that could possibly be made. That's all in the And the next line is critical. The place of this Idun is in Olam Says my grandfather, in page Tafkruf Samach Zayn, I think, of Aleish Rochelet Beis. Where is the place of the Tainud? You said Tainud got meeting in Olam Chonadudim. Makam Eidun Olam Where is the place of the Tainud? Olam So, that's, I think, the wild card. That it's possible to access in some way this pleasure in this world. How do you do that? Number one. How do you ensure that you get Olam Number two. Have to see you guys next week. Thank you so much.